Lord, I thank you for your word, Father, for your direction. I thank you that you that you lead us when we ask. I pray, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would speak to every person in this room. I pray, Father, that, that every person would, 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 be, would get a touch from you, direction from you, that they would submit unto you and be changed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man from the, from, with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his, bro, his, bro, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Now, what you might have missed there is the expectation that Eve is, has in these moments. So I want, I said we were moving past Genesis 3. We're not, surprised. I want you to think about Genesis 3 here, right? The, prom, the, the curse that was given to Satan, but it's also a promise. In verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what does Eve know? Right? She knows she's going to have an offspring. She knows that is going to be a son and that he's going to come against the devil. He's going to conquer the devil, right? He's going to bruise his head. Now, we get this idea that, that Eve's got this sense that he's going to set everything right. He's going to take us back to the paradise that we were living in. He's going to change the mistake that we made. And so when Cain is born, he meets both those qualifications. He is her offspring and he is the son. In fact, the language here is kind of interesting. It's, it's unique in Hebrew. It, it it says that it says this about Eve. It says she says, "I have gotten a." And the Hebrew word there is an ish. That's the Hebrew word for man, right? Nowhere, no other place in Scripture is ish used to describe a a child or a baby. It doesn't exist. So there's something about like I have acquired a man. Is this the one who's going to set everything? Correct. And so many people believe that she was expecting, while she was expecting, that this would be the one that was going to set everything back into paradise. This would be the one that was going to fix everything that her and Adam did. That he would be the one. So check this out. She seems so excited for Cain. But then by the time Abel is born, she names him Abel. Now the name Abel means breath. But it's also the root word for vanity. So Ecclesiastes 1-2, let me read that to you. It says this. It says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Do you know that's exactly the same Hebrew word for Abel? It's the exact same. So you could interpret this literally. You could literally say, Abel of Abel's, says the preacher. Abel of Abel's, all is Abel. It's the exact same word as vanity in Hebrew. Now, could you imagine this? Could you imagine Eve's situation, what she's thinking in this, in this moment? The earth is completely different than what she knew before. She was living in paradise, right? She was, she was living in this time where, where everything was perfect. Now, what does she know? Her husband's working the field, and it doesn't produce like it used to for her. It's a lot more difficult than it used to be, right? She's given birth to Cain, and it's painful, 
pain like she never experienced in the Garden of Eden. Right? It didn't even exist in her mind. And now she's given birth to this baby, and it was, it was extremely painful. So it kind of adds up, right? Right? So Adam's experiencing the ground's not producing like it, it used to. She's experiencing pain in childbirth. But she's holding on to this promise that I'm going to have a son. My offspring is going to be the one to set everything right. And I think that by the time she has Abel, this is, my, this is what I think. By the time she has Abel, she's starting to understand, oh, this is going to take a whole lot longer than I thought it would. Like, Cain isn't who I was waiting for. Like, that's not the offspring that I thought it was going to be. And having tasted paradise, having lived in this perfect world, in comparison to what she had now, I think that there's a good chance that she named Abel Vanity because she felt empty. She felt like it was all in vain. Like, compared to what I had before, this is a whole lot worse. That was perfection. I experienced that. And this is not perfection in any way. In fact, this life is hard. This is difficult. Do you know what the definition of vanity in Hebrew means? It means this. Emptiness, our vanity, figuratively, are unsatisfactory. Emptiness, unsatisfactory. Can you imagine the dysfunction that happens in these moments, right? So Abel wakes up in the morning, Eve calls him, hey, empty, good morning, right? Think about that for a minute, like, or hey, unsatisfactory, go do your chores and try to do them right this time, right? Like, that, that, like she had to have had that emotion inside of her to name her, name him what she did, right? But put yourself in, that, in, in Eve's shoes. You were living the perfect life. There's no pain. There was no suffering. I walked with God. I talked with God. He was my friend. And because of my actions, all of that changed. Here's my point. We have this tendency in these moments of our lives to experience something and think our past was so much better in the past that it doesn't seem like, it seems like everything I do now is just empty or worthless or unsatisfactory. See, we've had, we, we have this idea like we've been on the mountaintop sometimes and for some of you that are still on the mountaintop, that's wonderful. But I'm speaking to those people that aren't right now. I've been on the mountaintop before. But what I'm doing right now isn't anywhere near like what I'm doing then, and it all just seems so empty. It all just seems pointless. But I want you to know that when you have a promise from God, God is going to make that happen. And do not fall for the discouragement that comes when we are not seeing God move like we thought he was going to move. Think about this. She knows the Messiah is coming. She didn't know when, but she knew he would come, right? We, she, we know now that that was Jesus. We know that looking back now, we can see that that was Jesus. But in her mind, maybe she thought it was Cain. Because that was the promise that she received, that it would be through her offspring. Think about this. Cain, generationally, is as far away from Jesus as you could possibly be, Right? When Cain is born generationally, from that generation, from Cain's generation, we are as far away from Jesus as we would ever be. But she's still holding on to that hope. She thinks that it might be him. 
Yet Jesus did come back. He did take away the sins of the world. And he's coming back again to fix all the craziness, to go back to perfection so that we could walk with him and we could talk with him and, and he will be in our midst and he will be our light. Those things are happening. It just didn't happen in Eve's lifetime. So don't fall for the trap of discouragement. Just because you look back on your life and go, man, I was really making a difference there, but then God called me to do this and it just seems a little empty. It just seems like it's vanity. It, it just isn't, it's unsatisfactory. Don't fall for that trap. God works on his timing when he's ready. Don't, don't fall for the trap of, of oh, I, I just wish I was, I was doing a little better or times were like the past. No, God is going to fulfill his promises. And what happens is, is when, when we do that, when we start getting discouraged and we start thinking, what I'm doing now is empty compared to what I did before, we start losing faith in God. And the only way to please God is through faith, Right? Don't let that happen. Guard yourself against that. Then it goes on in verse 3, and it says this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of, of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, one thing, one thing to recognize is that these terms here, fat portion, means that Abel brought the best of his flock. Right? So he bought, he bought the best that he had to offer. And this word, no regard, it's a Hebrew one word. It means that God couldn't even look at Cain's offering. That he wouldn't even look upon it because it was that bad. And I want you to know, it's not just because God prefers ranchers over farmers. That, was not the, like, that wasn't what the deal was here. That, that wasn't the problem. right? Because in, in Hebrews 11, it says this, By faith, offered to go, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's not that God is biased against farmers. God loves farmers just like he loves everybody else. It's the fact that Abel brought his offering in faith. In faith. Faith is the key there. We need to bring an offering of faith. Cain is out here and he's literally not meeting the expectations of Eve, which was not his fault, to not meeting the expectations of God, which was his fault. And God asks him, he says, if you do not do well, will you not be accepted? See, Cain, he, God would not ask him that if he didn't know what to do. Cain knew full well what he was supposed to bring and how he was supposed to bring it. He, he, he chose not to bring whatever it was, and we might not ever know until we're in heaven, what God had commanded him to bring. That was his choice. And there's two types of people in this world. There's two types. And you see this all throughout the Bible and all throughout Scripture. You see one kind of person is like Cain, and one kind of person is like Abel. Abel approaches God on God's terms. Cain approaches God on his terms. 
Abel approaches God by obeying in faith the way God wants us wants to be approached. The only way we can approach God is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's the only way. It's on his terms. Acts 4 says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Cain is not an atheist. Cain believes in God. Do you realize that? Cain believes in God. But he wants it on his terms. He wants to approach God. He brought an offering, but it has to be on his terms and how he wants to approach God. And so many people approach God and they have this attitude of take it or leave it, God. Take it or leave it. I probably did my part. I did enough. We should just be thankful that there is a way to approach God. That God provided a way because he didn't have to do that. So many people approach God and say, either take it or leave it. It's, it's my terms. I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. I had this conversation just recently. How many people leave the church? They love Jesus. They come to the church. They're sitting there hanging out. They're, they're, they're chilling until I start preaching. Jesus is the only way. And then all of a sudden they have a problem. What do you mean I can't? I can't. Well, you tell me God's sending all those Muslims to hell? Yeah, if they don't believe in Jesus, and they're, not, they're going to hell. You mean to tell me that, that, that if, if, if all those atheists that don't believe, they're going to go, like, no, there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only, he is the only way to the Father. And the minute I, those things start coming up, I can't tell you how many times they just leave the church because they want to come to Jesus on their terms. And if it doesn't work for their terms, then they don't want it at all. God only works through his terms, through his terms. Instead of Cain changing his ways to approach God, he gets angry. The solution to sin and being rebuked by God is not to get angry, but to repent. Let me say that again. Guard yourself against this. The solution to sin and being rebuked by God is not to get angry, but to repent. Too many of us, we feel conviction for what we're doing that is against God's word and what he's leading us to. And then we get angry. We get mad at God, just like Cain. And, and, and God is so quick to forgive. And God is so quick to show mercy. If he says to Cain, if you would just do, this is the Steve Carr's prayer phrase, if you just do the right thing, then you will be accepted. God wants the best for Cain. Verse, verse 8 says this, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Right from the beginning of human history, we have a murder. And God says one of the most important things in all of scripture. He says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. See, we see, you really want to make God angry? You really want to make God angry? Hurt or kill an innocent person. Hurt or kill a righteous person. And we see that all throughout scripture, right? 
And we see that, that, that Abel's blood speaks to God. And here's why that's important. Because Jesus was the most innocent and righteous person that ever walked the face of the earth. He was God himself. And his blood still speaks mercy for them. Forgiveness for them. Forgive them, Lord. Hebrews 12 says this, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is the better word that Jesus' blood speaks? It's forgiveness. It's mercy. Father, forgive them, for they have sinned. They know not what they do. And it's constant. And we see how important that is right in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. So the question I have this morning and why did Cain murder Abel? You ever thought about that? Why did Cain murder Abel? Like he's mad at God, not at Abel, right? His beef is with God. So, so why did he kill Abel? The reason Cain killed Abel is because Abel right, was righteous where Cain was not. That's why. And it is our sinful nature that causes us to be angry at people who are faithful to God when we are not. And I don't know if any of you have ever fallen into that trap, but I have. I haven't killed anybody. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But have you ever seen someone blessed by God who was being absolutely faithful to God and it kind of irritates you a little bit? I know you all to 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 sanctify for that, right? But truthfully, you need to guard yourself against this because there is tendencies to make that happen. Why is God blessing him and not me? Why does God do that for them and not me? Why are they anointed in that way and not me? And not everybody has the same calling. Understand that. But it is our sinful nature that causes us to be angry at people who are faithful to God when we are not. It was the first religious killing in history. It wouldn't be the last, but it's the first. Why did Cain decide to murder Abel? Because the, the righteousness of Abel exposes him. The righteousness of Abel exposes him. When you look at the unrighteous persecuting the, the church or the righteous in the world today, why do they do that? Because it exposes their unrighteousness is one of the main reasons. It exposes who they are. The righteous life exposed exposes the fact that sin and rebellion against God are by choice. Let me say that again. The righteous life exposes the fact that sin and rebellion against God are by choice. You, the world wants you to believe you have no choice. You are a product of evolution. You are, you are going to do the things that you're going to do. You are sinners. Just do what the, 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 your heart says. You have no control over those temptations. That's not true because there are righteous people on the earth that follow after God faithfully. And that exposes them to who they really are. Because if they can choose to follow God, if you can choose to follow God, they can choose to follow God. And that's exactly why Cain is angry. Is angry. The next time somebody's angry at you, hates you and your relationship with God, no, it's, it's not you. They're angry at God. It's not you, it's them. It's not you, it's them. They're angry at God. You're exposing them to what they really are, the unrighteous. You're exposing because you made the choices to follow Jesus. And they're not. And it exposes them. Let's move to verse 11. 
And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its, its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So we have here the first time the human being is cursed. Do you realize that? It's the first time that someone is actually cursed by God. But I want you to know, you are cursed in your sins if you are not under the blood of Jesus. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are cursed in your sins. And Cain cries out, he says, my punishment is more than I can bear. It's not, one of, it's not a cry of repentance. It's not a God, I'm sorry cry. It's a God, I don't like this punishment cry. Because I fully believe, I wholeheartedly believe, and this is true for you today. If you would repent from your sins and you would follow after God and ask for forgiveness and mercy, he will be quick to do that for you. That's the kind of God we serve, and I believe he would have done that for Cain. But instead, it's a cry about punishment. So consider this. Cain might be the first person to receive grace. You're thinking like, well, Steve, what do you mean he's cursed? He's cursed. He's driven out of the presence of the Lord. No, he received grace, you guys. Absolute grace. He didn't get what he deserved. In fact, he might be driven from the presence of the Lord and he might be cursed, but do you realize he's protected by the same person that did those things? God protects him in there. That's grace, folks. Nobody, if, if God would have came down and said, I'm going I'm to wipe you off the face of the earth, none of us would bat an eye. Cain deserves an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? That's what he deserves. Instead, he says, surely somebody's going to kill me. God says, I'll protect you. I'll protect you. That's grace. Why did God do that? Why did God Cain show Cain grace? Do you ever think about that? Why didn't God just come down and wipe him off the face of the earth? Here's what I believe. I believe that God was hoping Cain would turn. Cain would repent. Cain would, would find it in his heart to go, you know, I was wrong. I should have never done that. See, that's, that's God's heart for you, for your eye, for your neighbor, for your loved one, for your friend. That's his heart. He doesn't want to see any of us destroyed by our sin. He wants to see us forgiven of it. And this is the truth. Time for repentance equals grace. Time for repentance equals grace. Maybe you're here this morning and you are not right with Jesus. Maybe God is showing you great grace right now. Why does Jesus not come down right now and just wipe off the face of the earth everybody who hates him? It's grace. He's giving them time. But at some point in time, you will take your last breath. You will breathe your last breath and then grace is over. That's it. And then judgment. And so if you are here this morning, and you, you are not right with Jesus, I want you to see me immediately after. There's nothing more important to me this morning than making sure that you are saved under the blood of Jesus. God is giving you grace. 
He's giving you time. This is the reason he doesn't kill you in your sins. But one day that you take your last breath, just like we have no idea, but we think that Cain probably never repented. It's never recorded. One day Cain took his last, last breath and died. And then judgment. I want you to know that it's so important. You never know when that last day is going to be. You can find grace in Jesus. You can find forgiveness in Jesus and mercy. If you are still in your sins, you are cursed. And the only way to, to, to break that curse off of your life is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. His blood cries out day and night for anybody who puts their faith in him. Mercy, forgiveness, grace. It's continually before God, just like Abel. God recognizes that. Let's move to verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Skip down to verse 25 for me. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. And she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At the time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I want to close this morning. Sherry, if you want to come up. I want to close this morning with where we started, which was the expectation of Eve. Eve is holding on to this promise that God had made. My offspring is going to set this thing right. My offspring will be the one to conquer Satan and bring restoration. Could you imagine that moment that Cain is leaving and her frustration with her expectation? Cain is leaving the presence of the Lord. She, he, he's being driven out. He has one son who was a, who's been murdered and one son who's a murderer. Can you, I mean, talk about the low of the lows. And then she goes and looks in the mirror and guess whose fault it is? Adam, Adam and her fault. Adam, Adam and Eve's fault. All she can do is look in the mirror and say, this was me. This was me. I did that. I caused these things to happen. And she has another son named Seth. And here's what's interesting about what she says about Seth. You notice she uses the term offspring, which is in Hebrew, zira, which is the same exact word. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, by the way. Hebrew. It's the exact same word found in Genesis chapter 3. It's the word that God uses when he says her offspring, same word, will crush your head, will bruise your head. It's the same word. She is still holding on to hope. She is still believing that God is going to bring through her offspring the person that is going to set everything right. She doesn't know if that's Seth. I'm sure that at a certain point that when he got old enough, he, she figured that that was not him. But she's still believing in that hope. And in a way, it's kind of Eve's hope in Seth that kind of sets this entire thing off for Jesus to come. When you, when you think about it, right? So the descendants of Cain, what did they pioneer? They pioneered cities. But the descendants of Seth, they, just, they pioneered worship to the Lord. Think about that. 
Cain built cities. Wonderful. We still have archaeological digs today about those things. Seth pioneered the worship of the Lord. Now this word called on is, is translated in other parts of the scripture that is, that is, that is or excuse me, that, uh, that is often translated proclaim. They were the first people that proclaimed the Lord, which is exactly what we are still doing today. It's exactly what we are called to do, to proclaim the goodness, the mercy, the, how wonderful the Lord is. Think about that. Think about that. It's Eve's hope that there's going to be one that comes and conquers the devil, sets everything correct. Cain, met, was fr- Cain frustrated her. Abel's murdered. Seth, she eventually realizes, that's not, that's not my guy either. He's my son. I love him. But he ain't Jesus. It's her hope that people begin to call on the name of the Lord. And so I just want to ask you, do you feel like you're in a place where what you're doing right now is empty? Eve would never see Jesus come in her lifetime. But it was her offspring that Jesus comes through. Now, all of us come from her offspring, obviously. Eve would never see in her lifetime restoration back to paradise. But she would produce this son, and that's when people would begin to call the name of the Lord. What are you frustrated about? What do you feel empty with right now? Now, if you're not serving the Lord, that's one thing. That's a whole nother conversation. But maybe you are doing exactly what God has called you to do. But you have this, like, I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. This is unsatisfactory. This feels empty. I want you to know that God fulfills promises. And it could be in your lifetime or maybe it's in your children's lifetime. I don't know which. But God is a, he fulfills every promise he makes. That's what he does. What you do for the Lord is not in vain. What you do for the Lord is not empty. Hold on. Cain is as far away from Jesus as as we would ever be. And Eve still believed the name believe the Lord would would do what he said he would do. Hold on to that. This morning as we're singing, I'm going to ask if there's anybody, Pete and and Andy or whoever wants to come forward and pray with people. Um, If you are in a place in your life that it just feels empty, feels unsatisfactory, it feels like what I did before just doesn't doesn't add up to what, what I was doing in the past. I'm going to, as, as Sherry's playing as we close, I'm going to pray then you're dismissed. You can go this morning. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. But come pray. Come pray with one of these guys and, and just find that passion. Find that desire in the Lord. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you fulfill all promises, Jesus. I thank you that you are a Lord that that wants good things for us, that, that, that cries day and night, that your blood cries day and night for our mercy, for our forgiveness, Father. Lord, I thank you that you made a way, Lord, and I pray, Father, that we would come to you on your terms, that when we find you, that we would dedicate our entire life to you and submission to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room that is feeling empty inside, it feels like what they're doing is in vain. 
I pray, Father, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray, Jesus, that you would burn passion inside of them. I pray, Father, that they would wake up tomorrow and just be driven to continue to fulfill your purpose on this earth. And I pray this in Jesus' name.